is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. Today's case is one that Heath actually found for us on TikTok, and it is nuts and just so troubling, and it only happened a few years ago, so good, good find, Heath. Yeah, honestly, I was just scrolling through TikTok. I saw this video. I was extremely fascinated by this story. Um, For many, many reasons, but it's also extremely tragic as well. Well, you saw one of the vlogs, right? I did, yeah. Somebody posted one of the vlogs on their TikTok page, and it is disturbing to say the least. And you guys have no idea what we mean by vlogs, but there are vlogs associated with the crime that takes place today. So yeah, that's what I mean. It's just absolutely nuts. So let's dive into this one. All right, guys, this is episode 371 of Going West. So let's get into it. In April of 2012, a mom and her daughter were murdered in their home by someone they thought they could trust. A self-proclaimed survivalist, the killer documented their plans and ideas for the end of the world and the end of these women's lives. This is the story of Lynette and Kayleen Keller also known as the Camp Keller Murders. Lynette Louise Rocha was born on May 28, 1970 in Pomona, California to parents Albert and Lupe right alongside her twin brother, Jean. And then she also had a sister named Kimberly. When Lynette was young, her family relocated from Pomona to Laguna Hills, both of which are in Southern California, but later they moved again this time to the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. And it was there that Lynette met fellow student Peter Keller. After graduating from Aloha High School in 1989, the two fell out of touch for a bit, but reconnected a few years later, becoming, in Lynette's words, quote, best friends. Though the relationship wasn't immediately romantic, Lynette remembers Peter telling her early in their friendship that he was just super eager to get married and have children. Peter asked her whether or not she wanted to get married, to which Lynette responded that she didn't really have the desire to do so. But when Lynette's sister Kimberly told her to give Peter a chance and that she thought they'd be a great couple, Lynette decided to go on a date with him. And after three months together, Peter again brought up marriage and children. And Lynette again told him that she didn't think she wanted to get married and she couldn't really see herself having kids. So he is like really pushing this idea on her, but she's like 19 at this time. So it totally makes sense that she's not really thinking about these things right now. But Peter proposed to her just weeks later anyway. And Lynette said that she was thrilled by this and gave an unequivocal yes, later calling him the love of her life. 
Lynette is remembered as being a vivacious and creative woman who is known for her many crafting endeavors, and fellow crafters recall her incredibly warm and gentle spirit. When a workplace injury left her unable to hold down a full-time job, though, Lynette really leaned into her hobby and began selling craft jewelry, paper flowers, and custom scrapbooking supplies online and at craft fairs in the area. But she also learned to sew, which helped her make dolls and stuffed animals. Along with the income she made from her crafts, she also received a disability payment from the state. But even so, Lynette's family recalls Peter being very stingy with their money, even calling him, quote, controlling and cagey about it. So Lynette would sometimes have to borrow money from her family members in order to get things that she needed, as her husband just wouldn't budge. But she continued to persevere in her passions and started a YouTube channel chronicling her hauls at her favorite crafting store, Michael's, and offering tips and tutorials to other crafters. Despite what her family recalls about the Keller's finances, Lynette frequently praised and thanked her husband for his contributions to her hobby, which we're going to touch on a little bit later. She was super, super grateful. And in addition to her crafts, Lynette is remembered for her skills as a chef, especially when recreating classic dishes from her Mexican heritage. So after Lynette and Peter got married, they settled into the Portland area, and Peter found work as a computer repair technician. He was also an avid outdoorsman, and when I say avid, this guy was basically a survivalist, and he spent much of his time hiking solo. And you'll see this outdoorsy side come out much more as this story continues. So on June 28th, 1993, exactly one month after Lynette's 23rd birthday, the two welcomed a daughter that they named Kayleen Nicole. And as Kayleen grew up, the family eventually relocated a few hours away to the small rural city of North Bend, Washington, which for those who don't know is just outside of Seattle, where Peter settled into the routine of taking near daily hikes while Lynette made friends in the crafting community and Kayleen began attending Mount Sai High School. Kayleen eventually picked up her dad's knack for computers and was fascinated by computer gaming technology. So after graduating high school in 2011, 18-year-old Kayleen enrolled in nearby Bellevue College and also found a part-time position testing video games, which was basically a dream job for her. In her senior year of high school, Kayleen started dating a guy named Carson Brammer, who was also passionate about video games. And Carson fondly remembered bringing his massive television over to Kayleen's house to play Portal and Skyrim together. Outside of her promising academic future, Kayleen, like her mom, was also a very great cook. And she was known in her family for her cookies, which were baked from scratch. Having grown up in the lush climate of the Pacific Northwest, she was also passionate about the environment and nature. But tragically, with so much seemingly ahead of her, Kayleen's life and future were cut off by an unsuspecting source. On Sunday, April 22, 2012, residents in the Keller's North Bend neighborhood heard what they thought was an explosion coming from the Keller's home, followed by a fire that quickly engulfed part of the house. When law enforcement arrived to investigate further, the fire was accelerating quickly. Though firefighters fought to enter before the fire claimed the Keller's lives, they were too late, and soon after, two bodies were pulled from inside. 
But almost immediately, investigators suspected that something was awry. Now, the fire was confined to the kitchen, and in another area of the house, they recovered a homemade, undetonated pipe bomb. Also inside were six plastic gas cans filled with gasoline that seemed to have been scattered around the house as ammunition for this fire. A rapid investigation of the property ensued because, again, they just really felt like something was off here. It seemed like this fire was started on purpose. And the fire was traced to a skillet on a lit stove that contained yet another full plastic gas can. But the most disturbing detail of the ordeal came when the bodies were recovered and examined. Because 41-year-old Lynette and 18-year-old Kayleen had not been killed in the fire. They had been shot in the head. Both women were killed by a single close-range shot to the head and had been left in their respective bedrooms to be covered up by this fire. However, Peter Keller was nowhere to be found. His car had vanished from the residence and he didn't return for the entirety of this investigation. Attempts to notify next of kin went unanswered, so police were completely stumped as to what happened, who was involved, and just what was going on. 24 hours after the fire, the Washington State Medical Examiner's Office concluded that the cause of death for both Kayleen and Lynette were gunshot wounds to the head. On Tuesday, April 24th, detectives officially announced that Peter Keller was a person of interest in the strange deaths of his wife and daughter. The Sheriff Sergeant of King County, Cindy West, addressed the media by saying, quote, we certainly have not ruled him out as a suspect. There is a possibility that he's also a victim somewhere. But as more details from the investigation revealed themselves to law enforcement, that theory began to seem less and less plausible. By Sunday afternoon, the Keller family car had turned up in a parking lot in downtown North Bend, but there was still no sign of Peter. When investigators notified Lynette's family, they were alerted of a potential motive of Peter's involvement. So basically, Lynette's siblings and parents reported that Peter was somewhat of a doomsday prepper, and that he had spoken for years about living off the grid. And as law enforcement scoured the home for any indication of what had happened to the Keller women, they stumbled upon a few clues that Peter had been involved. Now, when the King County Sheriff's Office dropped in on the computer refurbishing shop in Preston, Washington, where Peter had worked, his coworkers claimed that he had departed from work on Wednesday, April 18th, so four days before Lynette and Kayleen were killed. And he also told his uh, fellow employees that he may not be back to work for a few days or potentially ever. So obviously this is really weird because I don't know why he would say, I may not be back to work for a few days, but also I may just never come back. Like, yeah, kind of kind of weird. What, what kind of reaction are you trying to get? Yeah. So then two days later, on Friday, April 20th, Peter withdrew $6,200 in cash from the family bank account. Now, his bank account also showed that he had recently purchased a new laptop computer in the two weeks before the fire. And although investigators did recover the Keller's car, Peter's mountain bike was still missing from the property. So they kind of just wondered if maybe he had fled on this bike. 
And then strangely, the safe was left open as well as the door to the outdoor shed. Lynette's family attested that Peter had what they referred to as a, quote, survivalist mentality, and that he was somewhat of a loner who desired to live off the grid. They also confirmed that he had a large arsenal of guns, ammunition, and even body armor in the home, none of which were recovered after the fire, meaning that he likely had all of those things with him wherever the hell he was. Yeah, so it's weird. They find the car downtown abandoned, right? His bike is gone. All this ammunition is gone. All this weird survivalist equipment is gone. And they have no idea where he is. They don't know if he's a suspect, if he's a victim. They don't know how to think of this. But he seems like the only person at this point who would kill his family and then leave but they're also like why would he do this like nothing nothing is connecting here yeah i i don't think that they have at this point they don't have any motive as to why he would have done something like this but i think now they're starting to lean towards him being you know the the main culprit because like you know if if he was taken hostage or something um I don't think that all of his survivalist gear would have gone with his captors. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the fact that the her family is saying that they could see him having motive for something this horrific. And then also, Kayleen's boyfriend, Carson, remembered Peter proudly showing off his collection of guns and also recalled her telling him that Peter was, quote, preparing for the end of the world, stashing supplies to live off the grid in a fort in the wilderness one day. So now that's coming into play and it's just, it's adding like all these crazy dimensions. But still, they cannot find Peter at this point. Well, that's why this conversation of this fort in the wilderness is so important because they found out that this fort existed. He already had this fort and neither Kayleen nor Lynette were permitted to see the fort. And even Carson said he knew this fort existed and that he had seen a picture of it. But before all this happened, no one seemed to realize quite how nefarious Peter's plans actually were. They also didn't know where the bunker's exact location was, which posed another issue for police. So Peter would go on these long hikes by himself multiple times per week to shuttle supplies to the location while his family thought that he was just out on their local hiking trail. So police knew that this bunker had to be close by, but they needed to find out exactly where it was. And at this point, police now feared retaliation, knowing that they were in pursuit of someone who was not only armed, but also, according to his extended family, possessed a strong distaste for authority. Police even announced that they believe Peter was capable of procuring a hostage in order to leverage power over law enforcement, and that he would fight back with firepower if challenged. After the women's autopsies revealed that they had died by gunshot wound, investigators shifted into a full-scale hunt of the man that they believed to be an armed and dangerous murderer. On Tuesday, April 24th, 2012, so two days after the murders and arson of the family home, police officially announced that Peter was the only person of interest in the case. Prosecutors and detectives filed a probable cause affidavit against Peter Keller, alleging two counts of first-degree murder and one count of first-degree arson. As law enforcement combed the Keller house for any indication of where Peter was hiding out, 
they came upon the gas cans and the homemade bomb, demonstrating that he'd likely hoped that the entire property would be engulfed in a scalding fire incapable of leaving a trail of clues that led authorities back to him. But much to Peter's dismay, the fire failed to move past the kitchen. King County Sheriff Sergeant Katie Larson reported, quote, when authorities got inside, they saw gas cans distributed throughout the house because he wanted that place to go up in flames. What we found there was a safe, and in the safe, there were photographs. We saw preliminary drawings of the bunker, and when we looked at the pictures, we knew he was building something. Then, it was just a matter of taking those photos and figuring out where that bunker could be. And I have to say, I'm, I'm really surprised that he left these photos and plans behind. Like, any trace that a bunker existed, it seems kind of uh, kind of careless. I think his plan just went to shit. And, yeah. uh, you know, the house didn't go up in flames like he really thought it was going to. That's true. He, he did not count on any portion of that house remaining untouched by the fire. Especially because, also inside, police found what is perhaps the most chilling evidence recovered in this fire. Peter's video diaries, detailing years of plans to commit familicide and abandon all of his responsibilities to live in a bunker. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. 
Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. Looking to save on delivery? DashPass is your door to $0 delivery fees and more on DoorDash. And right now, using code GOINGWEST24, you can get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. Daphne and I use DoorDash constantly to order lunch or dinner or even groceries. And that's why we love using our DashPass, because it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered right to your door. I mean, come on. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. And that's why we use it so often. And it also gives you special access to exclusive promotions and member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash. Use code GOINGWEST24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. My absolute favorite app is Audible because not only do they have thousands of incredible podcasts, including ours, but they also have an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. Like from celebrity memoirs to motivation to business to my favorite mysteries and thrillers. Audible really is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases that can include eerie soundscapes, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Right now, I'm listening to this unputdownable thriller fiction called Just Another Missing Person by Jillian McAllister, which I think you guys would love. To try Audible free for 30 days, visit audible.com slash going west or text going west to 500 500. That's audible.com slash going west or text going west to 500 500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Though Peter's plans to live out his days in a secluded fort in the wilderness had been ruminating for eight years, according to the personal effects left behind in his home, he had become much more serious about this desire in the months leading up to the murders. It's unknown what the trigger for his plan was, but Peter began recording his every move, narrating it in a video blog, although he kept them private and had left them in his home to burn. Yeah, it's not like he was posting these live on YouTube or something. These all came out afterwards. Yeah, it seems like he never had intentions of like posting these, although he did address like this invisible audience. Yeah, I wonder, it is weird though. I don't, I wonder if he had recorded this or recorded these for himself. Like he wanted to act like he wasn't alone out there and act like he had this audience of people that wasn't there. And that was, that was the whole purpose of it. 
or because obviously these were supposed to burn in the fire or maybe he wanted these to come out later and changed his mind. It's just, it's so weird to me that he recorded this. And as you guys will hear in a second when we play some of the clips, he does multiple takes. Like, oh, he gets disappointed. He doesn't like that take, so he does it again. So it, it's like he wants people to hear this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe in the event of his, you know, potential death, they could possibly stumble upon these videos that might explain some of his reasoning for doing what he did. But obviously he left them in the house and possibly thought that they were going to burn. So I don't know. But, you know, his pent up resentment for his wife and daughter and, you know, the responsibility that he felt to them was evident in his confessionals. Like, he was especially disillusioned with Lynette due to the fact that she was in recovery from her work injury and left with chronic pain and fatigue. As if being injured is her fault, and, like, that's your wife, so in sickness and in health, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really messed up that he's basically blaming her for being out of work. And obviously, I'm going to talk about this a bit more, but this guy's a complete piece of shit. But it seems like her retirement from full-time work left Peter feeling bitter at assuming the position as the sole provider for the family, which he clearly was not happy about. In one of his blogs, he said, quote, I just feel like I'm getting knocked back every time financially. My wife is just going to suck all the money out that I have. Which is interesting as well, because somebody who wants to live off the grid, you don't need money, or at least you don't need very much money. So why do you care? Well, the thing that also pisses me off about this case is the fact that he was the one that pressured her into getting married and having kids. Right. And now he's the one that's like, oh, well, I want to be selfish and go live in a bunker in the fucking woods. Like, bro, grow up. Yeah. And, oh, I have a wife and I have to take care of her financially. And, and when she's in poor health, like, God forbid, that's what you signed up for, dude. Yeah. It's just insane. So... Ironically, Lynette, who was also a frequent video blogger, spoke adoringly of Peter on her channel. And she praised him every time he offered her extra spending money for her scrapbooking hobby. Her craft room was adorned with pictures of them together, and Lynette made a point of mentioning him in every single video that she posted, acknowledging all that she felt he did for her. And that just breaks your heart. Like, what a loving woman, and he is so rude. Yeah, manipulative, rude, and selfish. So in one post shortly before her murder, she said, quote, He got me all that furniture, and then he put my shelves up for me. Such a great husband. Peter, on the other hand, seemed blind to the appreciation that Lynette showed and was surprisingly self-deprecating in his recordings, exhibiting signs of what were likely years of repressed indignation and oppression. And when referencing killing Lynette and Kayleen, he said, quote, We haven't done the part that I'm not looking forward to, and we're getting pretty close to that time. I guess I'm probably a couple months away, maybe three. So yeah. I know once I do this, I could either die then, maybe something will happen, or a few days, or weeks, or maybe even years. My goal is to make it 10 years, but that's the other hard part. It's either to not care about dying and to still care about the project. And we're going to go ahead and play a couple clips from these vlogs, if you will, so you guys can kind of hear his voice and, and what he's talking about. Well, it's about two weeks before the end. This is going to be my last video probably before till after that. Um, 
That's terrible. Let's try. Well, it's about two weeks before I finally drop out of society and start this project. Um, well, it's about two weeks before we finally drop out of society and fully commit to this. Uh, this is probably going to be my last video until after that. I just wanted to get one last video in before uh, that time. So far, I've come to terms with it. I'm doing okay. It's starting to accept it. It doesn't really freak me out anymore like it did sometimes. At this point, I don't know what's going to happen. It, I may get uh, caught right away. Basically, if I get caught, I'm just going to shoot myself. So, I mean, I could basically be dead in two weeks or three weeks. I don't know. It's all up to chance at this point. So, I don't think anyone knows where I'm at. But if they put it together, who knows? At this point, I have to take that chance. All right. So Peter described himself as fucked up and claimed that he hated his life, asking himself, quote, how did so many things go wrong? He called himself ugly and said that nobody cared about him. However, he also refused to take much responsibility, saying he blamed his strict Mormon upbringing and his, quote, shitty family life for his unhappiness. I mean, at this point, just get a divorce. Haven't heard that in a while, but it does, it does apply here very heavily. Because despite having an adoring wife and daughter at home, he said that he tried for years to pull himself out of his depressive state, but that he always reverted back to his angry and self-deprecating nature. The only thing that seemed to bring Peter joy was making plans for his future of living solo in a bunker off the grid, which just pisses me off so much. Like, if you want to live off the grid, go do that. Why are you taking your wonderful daughter and wife off this earth just so you can go die in a bunker alone? Like, just go. I mean, it's very, very obvious that he's extremely selfish. He's a fucking man-child, this guy. Like, he, he complains about, oh, I'm so ugly and people don't like me and they don't care about... You have a wife and a daughter who loved you and you killed them so that you could go live by yourself and live this dream of being in a bunker. Like, I just... You know, it's, I feel no sympathy for this guy. I know, it is so frustrating. And he described giving up on himself, saying, quote, you know, I've tried, but I keep coming back to the same person I am. I guess it's also because I don't have anything. I never did. No money. My looks are horrible. No personality. I mean, I'm okay with it. It's just, I understand now very clearly, this is the only thing I have. Bro. What? <laughs> like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it's almost like he's making an excuse for why he's doing these things, saying that his life is messed up and all these horrible things keep happening to me. You know, he's trying to play this victim, like he's got this victim mentality going on, but he is not the victim in this case. Yeah, and then he has to bring his wife and daughter down with him, and it's so horrible. So Peter claimed that living this lifestyle was something that he had wanted to do since he was a teenager, calling himself an introvert, and that he desired to live alone in the wilderness so that he didn't have to, quote, deal with people. Again, go do that then. 
He also expressed a desire to live an existence free from any sort of societal infrastructure or pressure. In one video, he explained the following. I'm getting to the point where just trying to live and pay bills and live as a civilian and go to work, I just, it just freaks me out. It's actually more comfortable for me to think about living out here, um, robbing banks, pharmacies, just taking what I want for as long as I can. At least it'll be exciting. It won't be boring. And I don't have to worry about Lynette or Kayleen. And everything will be taken care of. It'll just be me. Based on his surroundings in the videos, as well as the blueprints and sketches recovered from inside his home, police surmise that Peter was likely in the Cascade Mountains, somewhere off the Rattlesnake Ridge hiking trail. King County Sheriff Steve Strawn issued a warning to the public, cautioning them against approaching Peter in the wilderness, saying, quote, Based on the facts that we have right now, we believe that violent death came to Lynette and Kayleen unexpectedly in their home from a family member who had been familiar and trusted. The obvious question is, how much danger does Keller present for hikers, campers, and the public? I don't think we need to be fearful, but we do need to be aware and use common sense to stay safe. If you're hiking or using areas of the mountain, carry a cell phone, do not confront Keller and let us know if you see or know anything about his location. And what a terrifying thought for locals, people who do hike and go outdoors and work at banks and work at pharmacies and people who are aware of what's going on, knowing that this madman is just on the loose and that they have no idea where he is. Yeah, they got this wannabe Rambo Bear Grylls type dude just hanging out in the wilderness building bunkers and... You know, th there are people that use these hiking trails daily, so it's it's very scary to know that there's this guy out in the wilderness with a ton of ammunition and also ill intentions. So in the hard drive removed from the Keller home, authorities found multiple photos of the wilderness in which his bunker was located. Scouring the photo for context clues, they spotted power lines in a deeply wooded area. Now, when smoke was seen emanating from a rugged area off of the Rattlesnake Ridge Trail in the mountains just outside of North Bend, police believed that they had zeroed in on the location of what Peter liked to call Camp Keller. On Thursday, April 26, 2012, so four days after the murders, Sheriff Steve Strawn announced that they believed Peter to be in a secluded area of the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, about 25 miles or 40 kilometers east of Seattle. Peter took a shockingly lazy approach toward eliminating his family and relinquishing his entire existence to live by himself underground. Though he admitted that he wasn't looking forward to killing his wife and daughter, he also expressed little to no remorse at doing so. If apprehended, Peter even had a backup plan, which was simply just to take his own life. He said frankly in one of his recordings, quote, At this point, I don't know what's going to happen. I may get caught right away. Basically, if I get caught, I'm going to shoot myself. So I could basically be dead in two weeks or three weeks. I don't know. It's all up to chance at this point. I do have my escape, and that's death. I can always shoot myself, and I'm okay with that. 
God, I can't stand this guy. Though the murders seemed entirely preventable to everyone on the outside, Peter spoke about them as a foregone conclusion, almost as if they had already happened. In another one of his videos, he admitted, quote, Part of me has a hard time even imagining doing what I'm going to do. But as I think about it, I always come up to the same conclusion every time. I'm starting to get more okay with it. Other times, I feel like I'm more than ready. I've tried to make it in this world, and it's just not happening. I'm 40 now, and I'm running out of time. I don't even question it anymore. It just seems like everything makes so much sense now. You know, just the more I've thought about it, the more I understand it. I don't really feel bad about it. It's just the way it is. You know, certain things happened that caused this to happen. So I've just kind of accepted it. Again, so like I can't even express how annoyed I am with this guy, but just knowing that you can start over, you can do other things. You don't have to be a computer repair guy. Like you can live off the grid if you want to and spend little money and you can figure out how to make that work for you without having to take your life and your family's lives and put the public in danger. And you can also learn how to get a divorce because at this point, you know, your daughter's 18. She's, uh, she's in college. She's living her own life. She's out of the house. So if you wanted to get a divorce, it could have just been you in a bunker somewhere by yourself with your wife and your kid still alive. Yeah, if you're unhappy, figure something else out, but don't harm yourself or other people. But anyway, Peter's worst case scenario was realized when police finally apprehended him using a SWAT team and helicopters to trace the source of the smoke believed to be coming from the chimney of his underground lair. Around 6 a.m. on Friday, April 27th, two helicopters were spotted hovering low over the wooded areas in both Snoqualmie and North Bend. Local media outlets were kept in the dark as the King County Sheriff's Office were concerned that Peter was tracking the developments of their search, assuming that he had internet access on that new laptop that he purchased two weeks earlier. In the North Bend neighborhood of Forster Woods near the trailhead of Rattlesnake Ridge, locals observed men in fatigues entering the forest, presumably to scale the mountain and descend upon Peter's residence. Authorities shut down all local access trailheads to ensure that no one was hurt in the crossfire if Peter decided to fight back or flee. When SWAT team members and officers from the King County Sheriff's Office arrived at Peter's bunker, they dropped tear gas through one of the hatches, hoping to smoke Peter out. But when that didn't work, they entered into a standoff that lasted 22 hours. SWAT team members were hesitant to raid the bunker for fear that Peter had rigged it with booby traps or even homemade bombs. Sheriff Sergeant Cindy West regarded the situation as, quote, one of the most difficult they had ever faced and added, quote, the bunker is amazingly fortified and pictures don't do it justice. But finally, after an all night stakeout and no cooperation from Peter, authorities raided the structure around 1030 a.m. the next morning, which was Saturday, April 28th. Inside, they discovered Peter Keller, deceased, lying in a pool of blood with a gun nearby. So after all that, he did take his life, which was a very shallow victory 
for the shocked community, as well as Lynette and Kayleen's grieving family. After nearly a full day in the wilderness, four members of the SWAT team were admitted to the hospital to be treated for exhaustion and dehydration, and another officer sprained his ankle due to the rugged terrain. They believed Peter had been dead for hours by the time they repelled into the bunker, and his body was removed via helicopter. After a team of experts made sure the property was cleared of explosives, investigators descended into the bunker in hopes of finding out more context for the tragic loss of an entire family. After reviewing all of the video footage that Peter left behind of his years of preparation and plotting, Sheriff Strawn called the premeditation, quote, breathtaking in its evil, and added, quote, it's a little bit chilling because it makes you very aware of the fact that he planned to go into the bunker weeks, months, probably years ahead of time, and also indicates that he planned to commit the double homicide years ahead of time. From within the depths of this bunker, police removed 50 large trash bags worth of belongings that Peter had hiked up the trail himself. To begin construction, he dug 20 feet into the side of the mountain, and the bunker contained three stories. The foundation was supported by cement and massive wooden beams, which he had used a pulley and leverage system to put in place. Lining the walls were tools, camping equipment, five-gallon paint buckets, shovels, and lighting and electrical equipment. The bunker boasted running water, self-installed pipes for indoor water and plumbing, and was wired for indoor lighting, controlled by light switches. Peter dug a chimney through the ground, connecting to a wood-burning stove to expel smoke, which is how they caught him. And there were multiple hatches for easy entrances and exits. In addition to the household goods, Peter had spent thousands of dollars stocking the bunker with guns and ammunition. And among the 13 guns recovered from the property, law enforcement found the gun whose bullets matched those found in Lynette and Kayleen. Unbeknownst to his family, he had hiked everything in from his home about an hour away. Routinely throughout the week, Peter would pack the items into his car, park at the trailhead, and then carry them up the mountain to Camp Keller. To keep the electricity on, he had even carried in a generator. The bunker was concealed by just a green tarp and some stray brush and branches. In his small kitchen, Peter stocked utensils, dishes, and food, including 45 pounds of beans alone, dozens of bottles of soda, alcohol, and even supplies to make homemade wine. Sheriff Strawn claims the team was shocked at the intricate nature of the bunker, saying, quote, This isn't a hole in the ground, it's an elaborate structure. Now, sadly, because Peter took his own life, Lynette and Kayleen's bereft family were left without answers. There doesn't seem to be a logical explanation for why he felt the desire to kill the two people that he was closest to in the whole entire world. The foremost study of family annihilators took place between 1980 and 2012 and established the four main motives of those who commit familicide in modern-day psychology. Now, the first is the self-righteous killer, who blames the mother of the family for her wrongdoing and for driving him to the conclusion that he had to kill her and their child or children. 
Then there's the disappointed murderer, who feels that he was let down by his family, or that his children aren't properly carrying on the legacy that he feels he handed down to them. Then we've got the paranoid killer, who sees the outside world as a threat to their nuclear family unit, and is motivated by the desire to do what he sees as protecting his family. And then finally, we've got the anomic killer, who uses finances as the motivation behind the murders, and feels his family is bleeding him dry, or that they're the source of his financial duress and pose a burden to him. Now, Peter would likely fall into that last category. But also, I can definitely see him in that first category as well, the self-righteous killer, who basically blames the mother of the family for her wrongdoing. Like, I think not only is he, you know, stressed about the financial situation in the family, but he also has a lot of resentment towards his wife for, you know, not helping him essentially provide for the family. And he sees that as a reason to take her life. And it's tough because we can be frustrated all we want and say all these things, but clearly mental health does play a role in this. So I think I do want to mention that it's easy for me and Heath and all of us to kind of look at this and say, why would he do this? You know, just like we could say to any murderer, but obviously he was not in his right mind and he did an unthinkable thing. But to close all this out, uh, police obviously were very concerned about safety issues and they were worried about potential copycats. So they destroyed Peter's bunker and they filled it all in. One lasting legacy that Lynette and Kayleen left behind is a scholarship in Kayleen's name at the DigiPen Institute of Technology in Redmond, Washington, which she dreamed of attending one day. In addition to any money left behind by Lynette and Peter's estate, the thousands of dollars that Peter had squirreled away in the bunker all went toward establishing this scholarship. And in the words of Lynette and Kayleen's family, it's, quote, geared towards individuals who emulate Kayleen's persona. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Do not forget to check out our socials for photos and all, you know, the video blogs and all that kind of stuff. And photos, of course, of Kayleen and Lynette, all the pictures that are associated with this case. You guys probably will want to see it just to get a good visual of everything that we've talked about because there is a lot to see. So um, our Instagram is at Going West Podcast. Twitter is at Going West Pod. And we're also on Facebook. Yes. I mean, this case um, really, really intrigued me from the get-go because obviously I love everything outdoors. And yeah, creating a bunker sounds like a really, really fun thing to do, but not when it's taking the lives of your family in order to do so. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And again, we will see you on Friday. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger.
Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.